You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. So Lord, we just commit the rest of this service into your hands. We know that you are here in our midst, and we ask that your presence, just that we continue to dwell in your presence. And that even as we, you know, we have a discussion this evening, that by this revelation of the Holy Spirit, someone will receive a new word, someone will receive insight, someone would receive, you know, a special understanding onto a situation, onto a business, onto a dream, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Okay, you may be seated. It's a fantastic time to be at church, especially this month. Um, as we know, we've been talking about entrepreneurship. Um, sorry, if you're at the back, can you just um, move a bit forward? Guys at the back, please, just um, humor me and just take a few seats forward. Thank you. Okay, so um, we've been speaking about entrepreneurship, and we are going to continue... Um, our discussions this evening and um, with us in our midst this evening we have three very fantastic people three people who have achieved very great things in uh, their own paths in life in um, starting up various businesses and enterprises these are very knowledgeable people who have been opportune to hear speak on several occasions so I know that um, it's going to be a good session we are going to learn a lot and just be able to you know, glean off some of the brightest minds that we have um, in our society, in our society this, um, in this period. Um, so I'm just going to welcome our panel for this evening. Please welcome them with me. I don't want to be on my own welcoming them. So the first person I'm going to welcome up is a beautiful woman of God. She has, she's fantastic as a person and she's an amazing businesswoman. She is Mrs. Tokpe Olagbegi, and she is the CEO of Six Sense Interiors. Please, please don't stop clapping until she gets here. Sorry, let me attempt to. I'm not sure that I want to drop you. <laughs> okay. Okay. So next up is a very accomplished man, um, both in his professional life. Um, and also in his ministry with God. I'm going to call up next Dr. Femi Johnson. I had to confirm the doctor. Uh, it's apparently, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not, it's, okay, I'll leave it. He will tell us about it. <laughs> He's the MD of Home Based Mortgage Bank. Thank you for joining us. Okay, and. Um, Okay, there he is. Lastly, joining us is a social entrepreneur. I like that word. Um, he is a very intelligent young man. Uh, he has... He, well, social entrepreneur. He is the co-founder of Generation Enterprise. Please welcome Bumi Otekbadi. Okay, so, and I might as well introduce myself. Uh, I'm Oyinda Jaisimi, and uh, this is one of my life dreams to have my own talk show. So just bear with me if uh, I'm very excited. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, um, just really, I'd just like to hear from each of you, you know, what exactly, so what, what you do, what you started, just a, a few words about your enterprise, your business, your organization, um, why you started it. Yes, and um, you can go first. <laughs> in a few words, just uh, about five minutes, so as many words as you can pack in five minutes. Hello. Hi, everybody. So I run a business called Six Sense Interiors, and um, it's basically an interior design company. Um, I started the company, I'd say, in um, year 2000. And um, um, what it is that we really do is redefine spaces. So basically, we, we go into spaces and we transform these spaces, you know, tailor them to suit the needs of our clients. Why I went to business or got into the business is a very long story, and um, maybe later, yeah? Dr. Femi. Thank you very much. Uh, good evening, guys. Okay, so you want me to say what I do? Just a bit about what you do, your organization. Okay. Um, the thing is, I do more than one thing, but I'm assuming that they know one thing, so I'm gonna talk about the one thing that they know. Um, I run a mortgage bank, um, which I started with a few other people uh, about 10 years ago. Um, and why did I start it? Hunger. I didn't want to be hungry. Is that good Tell enough? us some of the other things. Oh, well, I mean, so the thing with business is you have to keep changing with time. Um, so I, I won't call myself an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, but I know that over my life, I've had to do so many other businesses, and even now, um, apart from my day job, so to speak, I still do a lot of things on on the side as well. Um, so, apart from running the mortgage bank, I also have another regulated business by Central Bank that I run. I I do some other things on the side. So, I don't do just one thing, but um, one thing is the major thing that everyone sees, and that's the nine to five one. Okay. Okay. me. Hi everyone. Um, I don't know if I should be on this panel, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, my name is Bumi, and I run Generation Enterprise. I Generation Enterprise essentially is a venture development company, which is another sorry excuse for just building one company that keeps on building people, uh, building other companies. So if you want to say I'm a serial entrepreneur. Or if you don't want to say that, you can just build a Vendev company, right? Um, so we, we build companies, and they are focused on absorbing low-skilled and low-income youth into the formal economy. Um, so if you think about, you know, how, how do you get somebody who has never been exposed, you know, and, and maybe only has secondary school education, how do you get them to work for a KPMG, for example, right? They would come work for our type of company, and then our company would build the skill into them, allow them to get a job, uh, allow them to get a degree as well while they're on the job, and then hopefully they can transfer over to such uh, other companies or go build their own companies. So that's that's essentially what we try to do. I, I noticed Soinda didn't even know what I do. She's just like serial, a social entrepreneur, end of story. It covers all things. But that's it, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, okay, so still with you, Bumi. So why 
um, why did you decide to start? So you were working a nine-to-five career before, right? And so what made you take that plunge to doing something on your own? Okay, it's a good question. Um, I'm very fortunate that this is church, so I have the, I'm, I'm free enough to say as much as I want. Um, there's a place of the Holy Spirit in your life, and the thing that he plants in your heart, right, that you have to almost deliver on. Now, how to deliver it is a whole other issue, right? But the what is always there. And I think we all know what that what is, um, and for, but we just need to uncover it. It's like an, like, like, like an onion. There's several layers that are you know, around it, and you have to peel back at it. And I found, at least for me, that the peeling back process is doing many different things so that I can then figure out which ones I don't want to do anymore and which ones don't sit inside that uh, line and so forth. But as a short story for me, um, I've always wanted to you know, help people, help others um, from family background, that sort of thing. And I'd always felt like Africa was the place to, to build up and so forth. Um, I then studied computer engineering. And the plan at the time was maybe I can come back and build these automatic tractors that will help us, you know, feed the rest of Nigeria and then fill the whole world and, and life would be awesome. Um, you know, and I, and I actually started down that path. Um, after school, in fact, in school I did, in fact, like I think half of my credits from my last year were research uh, credits. You know, I was no longer taking classes, I was just doing research. And I had a chance to come back home to Nigeria, in, you know, six months between graduating and, and going for, for a PhD program. And I found that we have all the people that can go and till the ground. We don't need machines, right? And, and um, it, was, it was just so bad. I saw that, that gap, you know, and I think it was overwhelming. It was literally overwhelming because sometimes my seniors, three, four years in my workplace, I was interning at this place. I, I was teaching them how to use spreadsheets, right? Um, and then in NYSE, you know, I was teaching everyone how to write a resume, do all this stuff. So that, that gap was, was just a little too much. And I think that's how I've gotten to, to this point. Yeah. Okay. So would you say that your passion led you to, to, to this point? Uh, I, well, I would say the seed, the seed. that okay. was planted. Because, okay. yeah, if you, if, you, if you know how to do a lot of different things, sometimes you don't think you have a passion, and most people don't. Uh, so the word passion is not... It is not appropriate for me, okay. at least. It's more of this seed of how do you help up people. I think that's what has obviously guided me in this direction. Okay. All right. Thank you, Bumi. So um, for me, these days, everyone is a, almost everyone is a CEO. Um, everybody wants to start a business. Everybody has CEO, XXX. But I mean, we know that they say most businesses will fail um, in the first five years of that, so um, you've been CEO of XYZ today, tomorrow you're sewing Ankara, next tomorrow you're selling jewelry. It's a process, I mean, I'm guilty of it, so I'm not shading. I have started many businesses myself. Um, I just want to ask, um, Tokbe, what, what, what has been the most challenging thing um, in starting a business? 
and what has sustained you through the challenges? Okay, so I started business at the age of 17 and I would say that the most challenging part for me was convincing um, the people who loved me that I was doing the right thing, right? Um, and that's part of our challenges, whether, whether we like to believe it or not. They say that there's a dimension to every business that doesn't, the problem is no money. Yeah, so sometimes our mindset, you know, and um, when I really, really started business, um, or when I really, really started doing what I do currently, I had a very hard time getting the buy-in of my parents and those who cared about me, and for good reasons too, yeah? But one of the things that that challenge did was that it made me really think, you know, so for every time they came at me with um, why I shouldn't go into it, right? Because I was so passionately in love with what it was that I wanted to begin, I would go back, do some extra homework, you know, and come back with like a counter, a counter um, reason why I had to go into it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just staying on that, um, when you're, I won't say the word approve, but um, because I'm very, I, I know what it is to not have your parents really approve of what you seem to be doing with your time. Um, how, how, how did you make sure? I saw you said you go back and research, but what was it really like making sure you didn't quit on yourself? What was the one thing for you that just said stuck with you to say, I'm, I'm going to push through in making sure that I make something out of this um, business? Because for every time I was met with a brick wall, and every time I was met with a brick wall, I got almost extra energy to want to, you know, keep going. Um, I found that that in itself was a pointer for me to stay doing this. And then it was, it became a resolve because I know my dad was like, if, do what you like, you know, and do what you like means do what you like. Don't come back to meet me for anything. Well, you're just on your own. But what that did for me was the, it built resilience. So maybe I could have quit after a year or maybe after two years. But because I knew that I was literally on my own, I just had to make this work. So if you're in that situation where you're trying to convince um, your parents about your choice of career or your um, whatever it is that you're doing, resilience, as Tope has said, is what would most likely push you through the first, the second, the third, the fifth year, and then people start to take you seriously once you're on the pages of the newspaper and you're making it big. And they say, oh, that's my son. I supported him all through what he's doing. But it's okay. Dr. Femi. I like the doctor. I said doctor. Um, so I'm going to come from that angle. You have done several things. You have started several businesses. How have you managed to still remain academic? Um, I ask this question because many of, I don't know if it's my generation, but I will still feel among the, you don't really want to study, you want to just go into business and you want to start without really doing so much about professional development, about self-development. So how have you been able to manage getting to the level of having a PhD while running successful organizations? How, well, how has that balance been? I forgot my glasses in the car. I'm actually a geek. So maybe I should put that on and then okay. you would understand. Maybe? No, but seriously, um, so I don't wear glasses, um, and I wasn't as lucky as her. I didn't have parents to bounce ideas off and tell me I couldn't do it and all that. Um, 
I think my first business, I, I probably have said it here before, was at the age of 13. Um, I saw an opportunity, we latched on it, um, I and a group of friends, and it sort of worked out for us. I couldn't have told my parents they would have killed me at that time, you know, the kind of business that we started, you know, and then over time as well, you don't, um, I, I didn't tell my parents what I was doing because I loved my pocket money and I didn't want it to end. So if they knew I was doing business and earning money, um, I probably won't get any form of funding or support from them. And I remember at, uh, I don't remember what age now, probably 18 or there, but my dad knew I had some money, maybe 19. And um, there was this Lagos State housing scheme that um, was done at that time. And we were supposed to do some down payment. I don't remember how much then, maybe 25,000 naira or 5,000 naira or something. And my dad paid for everyone in the house. We never got the house anyway. Lagos State swindled us. But he refused to pay for me. He said, you have money, go and pay for yourself. That's one. Two, my final year in um, university, I know that um, my father didn't pay for my projects. When I went home to say, you know, project is going to cost this, that, that to print. And he says, you have money, go and pay. You know, so it just reinforced the fact that, you know, it was good that I kept all of those other businesses away from them. And so, so, <laughs> so the first business anyway was um, secondary school. I was in a boarding school far up north. And um, some of us had privileges of watching um, music videos. You know, in those days, you had to have a big satellite dish at the back of your house to see the things we take for granted today on DSTV. It was difficult to see. All you saw was NTA that comes on at 5 p.m. and ends at 11 p.m. You know, 4 p.m. was those colored lines. You know? <laughs> you know? And so you go to a friend's house, maybe some rich family or whatever, and you get to watch some music videos. And so we started sort of like a dance club. Um, and we used to dance for the school. And so we used to get invited to go and dance in other schools, and we were always winning. And then at some point, they would invite us to other schools and say we should just come and entertain them that we were not part of the competition because they were tired of us always winning. So we had to say to ourselves, if we were this good, let's monetize it. And so we started dancing for money. Remember, I was supposed to be in a boarding school, so I wasn't supposed to be stepping out of the school, yet I had to go and dance to make money. So that was the first business anyway, sort of a dance uh, club or something. But I mean, beyond that, you know, um, we've done so many other things. Uh, my wife and I met very early, dated for about eight years, and that period we were just doing business. So we've sold shoes, we've sold medical supplies, I've supplied stationery to banks, um, snooker tables, I was one of the few people that pioneered snooker tables in Lagos, in Nigeria generally. So what you do is you buy or make a snooker table and put it in restaurants and joints and people play for a fee and then at the end of the day just go pick up cash from everywhere, you know? So that was sort of the sort of businesses I started with. I remember at um, age 20 I bought my first car and I had to hide it for about a year or two from my parents. So I'll go and park on the next street from our street and walk home because I didn't want them to know you know, that I was making that kind of money. But I guess, you know, that was how, start, that was how it started. Okay. Um, okay, so, I mean, we have, I'm sure we have um, quite but, a... But to answer your question yes. about education, okay. which, which was where you went, I'm not sure that it was a choice. I hate to study. Um, I probably grew up with my parents telling me over and over again that I was lazy, you know? So it's not like I like to study. The thing is, whatever you do for you to succeed, you have to know more than everybody else about it. The only way you can know more than everybody else about it is by studying. I mean, it's a no-brainer. So if you want to succeed in business, 
you have to know about the business. You have to know about other businesses related to the business. You, you just have to be the go-to person, the best person in that field. So earlier in life, you know, my wife and I decided every year when people go on vacation to enjoy, our vacation was to go and study. You know, so I've studied almost, I mean, the ones people don't know. So I've gone to China twice to study in universities. I've gone to Singapore. I've gone to, I mean, all over the world. So what we do is during summer, we look for a program, maybe a one-week, two-week type program, and then we'll enroll for it, and we'll fly there and do the program with the children, get a daycare for them. They are playing, we study, and then we'll come back, and people say, how was vacation? Great. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, Bumi, um, so your, a lot of what you do um, requires, would I say, the buy-in of, of other people, um, requires the buy-in of larger organizations who um, support what you do. How, how easy or how, what do you have to do to get, so, to get your business or your idea to a point where someone else sees what you're doing and says, I believe in what you're doing. I want to support you. What, how, what would you say, you know, anyone who is considering starting up something of the sort should be considering? Okay. Sounds like there's a lot packed into that question. Um, but I can, I can tell a bit of my own story. Okay. With what I've chosen to do, it's not necessarily popular. And... Um, I can tell you that, you know, it, it can also really get to you. You know, one of the things I was hoping to ask you later is how you were able to convince your parents and bring them on your side, right? Um, with my parents, for example, uh, they, they had never said no or yes to anything. They just, you know, it's your life. You live with the decisions. They, they'll advise you or whatever, but, you know. Um, and I must have done this for about four years before my father even said, Hey, that thing that you are doing, <laughs> I think I might need your help, you know? Um, and that was only two years ago, by the way. So, <laughs> and, and this is, he has heard feedback from every friend and every whatever. Um, so from, a, from, from family perspective, I think, uh, you know, at least for, at least for me, it's, it's come off as somewhat arcane what I'm doing, you know? Um, and, and, I've not done a great job of telling the whole world about it. Um, in terms of funders, for example, um, I would advise anyone here who's trying to start a business to not get a loan. You know, um, don't raise money the Silicon Valley way. Um, money is still expensive in Nigeria. Sorry, please explain that Silicon Valley way. Okay. I'm just so, loading here. Okay, <laughs> just, just to be clear, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs now, um, you know, do a, bid, a pitch deck you know, and then they go and talk to people and convince them to give them money, depending on the kind of access that you have. If, you, if you're in Nigeria and you're talking to Nigerians, the money will not come. Let me just tell you up front. Um, you can pay me the money, I'll, I'll save you the time. Um, and then if you have access to, like, you know, people in, you know, California or New York, those, those kind of places, they, they might give you the money if you convince them sufficiently. Um, but chances are you will fail with the money because the, the, the here... Customers are supposed to pay for you to grow your business, right? It's not capital that should, you know, there's a difference between revenue and capital, right? So the way we read online, it's like, go raise all this money, you know, now we've got $300,000, now let's, let's build our company and 
ride off into the sunset. It doesn't work that way here, right? There's no cash and nobody has that money. So find a business, right? Um, and there's so much. So I teach entrepreneurship as well. So there's a lot going in my head, and I'm You're trying not to have this a lecture. For free. So tell yeah, us, tell us. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep it very simple. Okay. There is a video that you guys should watch if you want to. Um, by, uh, it's I think it's the Stanford Entrepreneurship Center or something. There's this guy. His name is Steve Blank. He came up with this concept of lean startup development. Okay. The business plan, right, was a way in the past for established businesses that are setting up two or three or four new, you know, new products, maybe like their third or fourth product, to, to kind of write the plan, the five-year projection. Now, that's for a system where there's a lot of knowns, right? If you're starting a business, you actually have a lot of unknowns. Mm. So what you need to do is hypothesize, right, and then go out and test those hypotheses and then begin to validate them. And, and as you validate them, you get a lot of data and you have a bit more knowns, right? So when I say that, what I mean is, if you're gonna start a business, don't go out and sit down and write a 20-page business plan, you're wasting your time. Okay. What you need to do is say, for example, in January, I believe that this is my wonderful product. By the way, I did this again um, this year, okay. right? We were starting a new business, and me and um, Shaina, some of you might know it, we're starting the business together, and we said, oh, People will pay us 120000 for a three-day boot camp. You know, that was the overall statement. And then... <laughs> nobody, nobody paid one naira. <laughs> and, and so it's like, okay, February, you know, we believe that maybe if we, if we break down the classes, then maybe people will pay, right? Then we, we, that was the hypothesis for February. And then we tested that out, and then we saw that, okay, it kind of worked or almost would have worked. Okay, what was wrong in February, and now we write it in March. Here's what we're gonna do, and then, you know, so you, you test it out and you see. And then the market sort of tells you what to do. So the, yeah. the first piece is around framing your hypothesis and having a, a clear mind for it. Um, Alex Osterwalder is some kind of consultant. He okay. came up with this uh, framework called the Business Model Canvas. You guys can look it up. Um, just business, business model, model canvas. canvas. Yeah, it helps you to frame your hypothesis. It okay. takes the key parts of a business plan and just like, you know, allows you to think through it, okay. right? Then the second part is, I forget. <laughs> Go out and test your hypothesis, which is the customer development process, right? So we, we assume some people are our customers, but by the time we go and meet them with our product, they're like, eh, I'm not interested, right? Or you assume someone's your customer, but they are actually bad for your business because they will take up all your time if it's a service business and not actually pay you. But then there's a group of people who you have to iteratively arrive on that will really, really pay you for like half the work. You know, my mother has a lot of those examples. And then the third piece is, and then, no one should tell her. Um, <laughs> and then the third piece is what they call like agile development, like agile engineering. You have to build your products very quickly so that they respond to what, you know, they call it the minimum viable product, right? So that it responds to what the market wants. So that's more the startup process, okay. you know, for people who actually want to get out there. And for, for me, for every business we've ever done, it's gone through that process. But you have to be aware that you're going through that process. Um, and until the customer starts to pay you and those payments cover 
the cost of your running the business, you don't actually have a business. Um, and that, that's a very different thing from people who do hustlepreneurship or... <laughs> Hustlers. Loanpreneurship <laughs> or all, all these other things, yeah. Okay, so two things I hear from Bumi. Test your market and then build your product to suit what your market wants. So don't just think everybody wants your product and shove it down people's um, throats. We don't know what we don't. You have to just know who you're working for. Um, talk about something that um, stands out with your business for me is every time I drive and I see a car with the orange butterfly. How many of us have been in traffic and seen that orange butterfly? Fantastic. For free. It, 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 like, every time I see it, I just, I feel like, oh, like, this is something I know of or something uh, I am a part of. It shows brand. You've been able to build a reputable brand. I know you didn't, it didn't happen overnight. Can you just talk us through the steps or just give us tips on how to build a brand that random people like me see in traffic and feel proud of the orange butterfly on another car? Okay, so it wasn't intentional, you know, and I guess that's the beautiful thing with um, being able to share our stories because it's, um, it's easy to say, oh my goodness, I sat down and my goodness, I had this plan. It didn't happen like that. I just wanted, what I wanted at the time was, I think I'd run the business for about six years and I was actually contemplating how to get the word out there in the in a very in in an inexpensive way, all right, and um, it was actually the at the time it was Celtel sticker that I saw okay. in traffic, you know, and it was I saw the first and I saw the second one at the bottom part of the bumper, you know, and I said, yuck, I don't like it, you know, but something stuck, and that was whether you like it or you don't right? You read it. You read what was there, you know. And so um, the butterfly story, it, it's a story all by itself. But I ran the idea with, um, by my husband and he said, people don't like stickers on their cars, forget it, you know. And I say this only because it's always amazing that the people who love us have the best intentions, right? He didn't want me to lose money. He didn't want me to start something and, you know, but it took off, you know. And so I designed this, the butterfly, the logo, and I said it was even really tough because I, I actually had to um, produce it in the States, the first batch. Um, and we stuck it on a few cars. Now, some people said they didn't like it. And some people said, oh, my goodness, can I have more, you know. Um, when we first started it, we had six cents written on the butterflies. But then over, I think, after about 12 months, we recognized that to actually build the brand, we needed to focus on just the logo and take away the name. So everywhere you saw the orange butterfly, you thought of six cents. Um, so pretty much that was how the rave started. Um, easy advertising, right? Um, and how do we put the butterfly stickers on cars? People who come into our premises, we, we don't ask. We stick. <laughs> <laughs> and then in places like church, where you'd ask a question and somebody would tell you, you know, we stick those stickers. Aside that, you know, so 
the car owner would have a story to tell. The car owner can say, oh, it's, it's got to be six cents, yeah? Um, and the point was to make it as pretty as possible. Did I answer I have your one question? On my car. Yes, yes, it's okay. very, very pretty. Um, so, I'm just going to move on to Dr. Femi. I need you to. I want you to speak on something I tend to argue a lot about. Um, Bumi had mentioned the hustlepreneurs, people who are just just after the money. Like, ah, I'm just going to almost hammer. If it's generator today, I'm going to do it. If it's diesel tomorrow, I'm there. Sanitizer, me too. Anything that we're doing, I'm there. But there is a, there's something that I heard early on in life that stuck with me is that money follows value. You need to, so, so how that balance when you're hungry, right? You want to have the money, but you also need to create value. The balance of creating value, chasing money, how to get it right. Okay, so first, I think value is very difficult to create, yeah? And I agree with you, money follows value, money follows excellence. If you're mediocre, even if you attract money, it will just be for a short while. And it's actually more difficult to be a hustlepreneur, as I said, you know? Um, you have to be at, always at the top of the curve, at the cutting edge, you know? You have to move with, you have to have your ears close to the ground. So as things are changing, you are changing, it's actually very, very difficult. You'll be master of nothing, and you just die out real soon, you know? So that's not even a way to go. The steady way of knowing what you want to do, either what you're good at, what you've learned over the years, what you think is a winning formula that you're going to learn so much about, would always, always, always work, yeah? So I'm not sure that, um, you know, rushing from one to the other or trying to make money so fast is the solution. If you rush into money, Money will rush. I mean, people say this. If you keep chasing money, you will continue to chase money. You would never catch money. You'd have to wait, attract value to yourself by creating excellence in yourself, and money would then start running towards you. So you can try it, and loads of people have tried it with experience. If I stand today and say I'm going after money, I'd never catch money. If I stand and say I want to attract money to me, money would always come to me because I'll then think through what to create value, what to create excellence that can drive money towards me. And it always works. Just be the very best at what you do. People, they don't have to like you. That's the point. People don't have to like you, you know. I keep giving this story about uh, a boss I used to have, fantastic gentleman. Um, and so I used to have two bosses then. They were more like colleagues, but they were bosses. So one was a lady, you know, very likable, maybe like Onida, you know, will crack all the jokes and make customers laugh and all that. Oh, you're not like that? Straight face. Anyway, and um, so customers will come into the bank. You know, I used to work for a bank way back then. I won't say the name of the bank. And customers will come into the bank, you know, and she would engage them, and they would laugh with her and spend hours, you know, just having tea and coffee and all that. You know, and then they leave. And then the other guy who appeared like a geek, his trouser in those days, remember, was always here, you know, and he won't smile at anybody. But it was the very best at what he does. And then the customers would leave without doing any business and then get into the car and call him on the phone and say, now let's discuss business. So they didn't like him. They were not, you know, he was not a sociable person. They didn't want to be, you know, in conversations with him. But you knew that if you wanted to do any serious business, that was the go-to guy. I mean, the guy, you know, even in my own area of specialty, in customer's area of specialty, he would know 10 times more about your business 
than you would ever know. That was his job. When he sleeps, when he reads, when he studies, I don't know. But he tells you about your business. He tells you, oh, maybe you're importing something from Australia. He tells you the same version that comes from China, the one from UK, the one from Indonesia, the one from Bangladesh. He tells you all the pros and cons of all of them, where you can get it cheaper, how it can be freighted into Nigeria. He gives you all the breakdown. You're just standing. And you tell you, he makes you feel very stupid. I've been doing this business for five years, and I don't know all this, and this is not his business. You know, so if, if you are very good at what you do, people don't necessarily have to like you. And when I say like, it's not like they hate you, but they are not buddies with you. They don't have to be your best friends, but they see value in you and they keep coming back for that value. And I think that's what the lesson is. Get yourself to that point where that value sticks to you and people will come rushing to you. Always. Thank you very much. So, so I was, I mean, so whoever told me that statement was right. Extremely so. Okay, good. So I've been saying the right thing all along. So value, just focus on creating value somehow, I don't know how, but somehow the money would follow. It's not very easy, you know, sometimes you just want money to do nice things, but... I mean, if I may extend that, I, I, I suspect that I'm an example of that in some way, okay? So I like to think I'm likable, I like to think I'm friendly, I like to think I crack jokes and all that, but I'm actually an introvert, yeah? So I don't go out at all. Um, I, you can't catch me in parties. I go straight from, so I'm that triangular person, you know, like they used to say in university. So it's from church to home to work, you know? Um, and people then invite me for a lot of things. I turn them down. I never go for any function outside of Lagos. You can't catch me dead, you know, traveling by road to anywhere outside of Lagos for a function. So, I mean, that's just not me. I don't know how to buy a B and things like that, you know? But, but the thing, <laughs> and I don't have a butterfly on my car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm not antisocial, okay? So when I have to be with you, I know how to turn it on, right? I know how to hold a conversation and all that. But I try to be the best at what I do. So people always call me to either come and, you know, train them on something, deliver a speech somewhere and all that. But if you left it to me where, oh, I, my, my, my mother-in-law got... Uh, buried last month, I invited him, he didn't come, or this or that. You know, people are like that, people can be petty. But we find that people overlook those things where there's value. Yeah. And I tell people, people talk about networking is a big thing, and I don't want to go into that controversy now. I'm not sure that I network, maybe that's why I'm not rich. You know, mm -hmm. but, but that's, for me, that's what the point is. I don't have to come for every function, I don't have to come for every party. Just deliver value, and people would always come to you for your value. You know, it's not about, and you know, an example I like to give, is if I used to have a brother who was a treasurer of a, of a top bank, but um, a lot of people didn't know him. And then in my big bank in those days where I used to work, I tell people that, you know, if I brought my brother to come and train us on treasury, half the people will say, I'm just trying to get business for my brother. The other half will say, I'm trying to share the money with my brother. It's actually myself I'm giving the contract to. And that's what you get. Well, you see, if my brother was, for example, a Foladiola that started GTB, people would beg me, you know, that's your brother. Can you bring him to come and talk to us? So nobody remembers it's your brother when he has value. Yeah. Do you understand? But when they don't know him, there's no real value that they are seeing from afar. Anything you do is suspicious. So the thing is, if you have value, they would find you. No matter what the circumstances is, they will make excuses on your behalf to get that value from you. Okay. Um I know that some of us may have questions, um, having all the fun here, asking all the questions. So I know that we may have questions. If you have questions, I think the ushers will pass around um, slips of paper 
where you could just write um, your questions and then would um, ask our wonderful panels, panelists um, those questions. Samo, do you have paper you'll pass around? Or how do you, yeah, okay. Okay, or, or do we pass around the second mic? Will we pass around the second mic? Okay. 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 So before we go into the question and uh, the answers from the from the audience, just um, I said the audience. <laughs> um, just um, one or two last questions from each of you. So, what is the best advice you've ever received? You know, when it's when it comes to business, that one thing you've heard someone someone has told you, you've learned that one thing that has stuck with you through the years of your business and just pushes you as you go along, what, what would you say that thing is? There are many things, um, and I'd say, the, if I want to say the one thing that stuck, struck, stuck with me would be an advice I got from a client. Um, the person had heard my radio jingle, and she called me to say, she called me to actually pray with me. And this was somebody I had only served once. We didn't have like a personal relationship. She just called me up and said she felt inspired to pray with me. And she wanted me to know this, that in doing business, I should remember that I am like a river that needs a source. And once the source is cut out, the river will dry up. And, you know, I was actually driving when she made this telephone call, and all the way home, it sat with me. And so for every time, and I found it true that if I want to catalog the journey, my business journey, I have found that ideas will not always come. You know, groundbreaking ideas will not always come. Um, one job will never make you a billionaire, however big, but it's in going through the challenges, remembering that God is your sustainer, um, asking him for direction, listening for direction, because it's one thing to ask, it's another thing to just do your own thing. Listening to him for direction, understanding when he scolds, understanding when he's teaching, paying attention to the teachings, because we, we, you know, it's a very steep learning curve, mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial journey. And you won't always get it right. But when we get it right, I have learned because I'm really hard on myself. And so I beat myself up when I make mistakes or things don't go quite right. Mm -hmm. you know, but I have learned. I didn't go to school for this thing. right? I found myself on this journey. And so things are going to happen. But it's all for my own good. So I'll make the mistakes that I need to make and I'll get up again, you know. And trust me, in business, there are so many times where you need the energy to get up again. Not because you don't love what you're doing, not because you're not passionate about it. Sometimes you're doing everything the book has said you should do, but it's just not adding up. The numbers are not adding up, you know, or the clients are not coming, mm. you know. And then self-doubt starts. But that could just be at the point where things are ready to take off, yes. And so the one thing I'd say is just stay connected to the source. When you're connected to the source, 
you're fine. So that there is a place of the Holy Spirit in business. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is a place of the Holy Spirit in business. It is very... <laughs> I, I, let me show you um, one very clear example. I recall a time that I was really... Business was just not even working, you know. And I was actually thinking of packing it in. You know, I was saying to myself, look, maybe this, maybe it was for a season, you know. Mm. And I had a dream overnight, and the dream was, I, I, was there were very, very clear instructions, and the, the Holy Spirit had told me a design of um, sofa to make, and I was shown the fabric to use. Mm -hmm. I was also shown the guys, the particular guys in my factory that were meant to touch that chair. I tell you that that chair, that style design, that, that, that chair design, was a hit that year. And when I look back now, I say to myself, where would I, because everything, it was as though every other thing was predicated on that sofa, right? Business started again, and then the other parts of the business um, got resuscitated as a result of this year. And so it's amazing how a dream really turned out to be a dream for me, yeah. Thank you for that. That's amazing. Dr. Femi, that one thing that... Um... Well, I don't know that there's a one thing. Um, if, if I'm going to say a one thing, it's probably not an advice. Um, it's, it's the word no. You know, when you have parents with six children, you get to hear no a lot. You know, and I think uh, that probably was what spurred me to start making money on, on my own early. So you need something, you go to your parents and you know, they know just flew out. You could always predict it before you got there. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So it was always a no, um, and I always wanted to have things. And so I looked for ways to get those things done um, creatively. Um, remember, at, at that time, I had loads of friends that would stray a bit into illegality, sell their parents' stuff and all that to make money. And I wasn't going to go into all of that. So, so again, I guess, if we do a bit of church speak, you know, you can't throw away the God factor. Yeah? I just wake up and show up every morning. So I run a business now. I'm at crossroads, you know. I've had conversations with two people today. I'm not sure, again, you know, if I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing the way I'm doing it. So you're at that junction where you're asking, you know, what's the next big thing? Is it in this same area? Is it um, a disruptive thing, you know? So are you a disruptor in this environment? Are you moving to another environment? Look, for me, it's, I take instructions. Just wake up every day and say, God, this is me. I'm showing up. What would you have me do today? And sort of that, that, that's what has sustained me all through, all through the years. The thing is, um, I started banking early. I had the privilege of working at the best of banks in Nigeria. I had a lot of bosses. But what I knew then, you know, is what I like to call the pyramid effect, yeah? You know what a triangle looks like, um, the base and the top. Walk into any big bank in Nigeria today, you have about 5,000 staff. About 2,000 of them are entry-level staff. And at the CEO level, there's only one person. Every time that they promote, they cut off some people. So it's going to be like a triangle. It's getting steeper. You're going up until you get to that one CEO. The thing is, at every point in time, look around you. Who do you have to be better than? So it doesn't matter if I consistently score 90%, yeah? It's a great score. 
But if the cutoff mark is 98%, I would always fall short. So that's what life calls you to do. And you can't be 98 or 99% or always meet the cut if you don't have the God factor. Yeah? So the thing is, you look around you and say, I have to be better than everybody else. If this guy is putting in five extra hours beyond work, I have to put in 10 extra hours beyond work. I don't remember how many times I had to sleep overnight in the office learning work. I remember I bought my first computer in, uh, I think it was year 2000 or so, for one simple reason. I had gotten married. My wife was complaining about me coming home too late. And I had to buy a computer so I could take work home and work overnight at home. So it was, I wanted to stop working overnight in the office. I wanted to start working overnight at home. You know, but it was not because I loved the work. It was because I needed to learn so much about what I was doing in order to be the best. And I needed everyone around me, my bosses and all, to see that I was by far the best, better than everybody else around me. And that was the excellence I was talking about. But you don't achieve all of that without the God factor. It's just got to be God telling you what to do. You know, you can work very, very hard without working smart. So it's not about the number of hours you put. I've seen people that are far more brilliant than I am, that put in more hours or whatever it is, but it just doesn't turn out to be relevant. So it's got to be God telling you, this is the way to go, you know, walk you there in it. And so you have to be prayerful. You have to be close to God. You have to listen. You have to learn to listen. A lot of people pray, but they don't listen. You know, so you come here, you can speak in tongues and pray for two hours and then walk away. Do you sit and listen and say, I'm taking instructions? Mm -hmm. It can come by that small, still voice. It can come by that dream. It can be someone else telling you, you know. But I think that that's what has been constant for me. God telling me, you know, this is what you should be doing part time. This is where you should go. This is who you should talk to and all that. And it's always worked for me. The God factor. Awesome. Bumi. That one thing. Um, so I think they said the key key things. Um, I wanted to add two things that I okay. use. Um, you know, we, you talked earlier about value. The way I think about it is imagine the earth is a giant bubble mm -hmm. and you are right outside the earth. And God is trying to decide whether to put you inside or not. Right? What is he bringing? What, what, are you, what are you adding? If you weren't there, what would how would the earth be better, right? Uh, or would it be net, net zero uh, effect, right? And I think that's how I think about it. So in my local environments, I mean, if you're looking for business ideas to, you know, I've got like a billion. I think every entrepreneur generally has like a billion that they would be doing if they weren't doing the current one, right? Um, and, and that comes from just problems. So I think just open eyes, you know, and thinking about what creates value. And that's why, for me, you can never put money before the value. Mm -hmm. You always have to deliver the value. And I'm happy to deliver the value for, actually, Onida and I were talking a couple months ago, right? And you said to me, Bumi, you have this uh, skill, right? And I told you you were the fourth or fifth person to tell me that, yeah. right? I'm happy to announce as of today, I do executive coaching for executives. Like, as like I'm the first. For yeah. <laughs> no, they pay now, so <laughs> it's not like before. <laughs> okay. um, but essentially, like, I'm happy to deliver that value until I refine the product yeah. that it's so good that even if I ask the person who's been getting it for free to pay for it, they say, sure, you know, happy yeah. to do that. So I think that first thing is value. Yeah. And then the second is what Steve Jobs said at some commencement speech. Stay hungry, stay foolish, right? Uh, they've both alluded to that idea of learning. Yeah. 
You know, when I try to hire people onto my teams, I'm looking for people who, you know, they usually don't know they're being tested. Um, you know, how, what did you do with feedback? You know, what did you, how did you, because we, we can't know it all, right? Um, and whether it's a child that's talking to you and demanding questions about your business, or it is, you know, some big person, or, or is even just, the, just one of your staff, the lowest of them, there's always something to learn. Um, that will refine the model, that will refine the business, that will make it better, you know. And or, or maybe it's in your your times of quietness, and the Holy Spirit is speaking. If you are the type of person that you're always hungry, and you consider yourself constantly foolish, you you absorb so much more information, and and that information you then sort of, you know, coalesce for for lack of a better term into something something really concrete. And I think that's where value really comes from. People try to do this arbitrage thing. Let me supply ACs at 10 times the cost because my, my, father is, my father's brother is there. You know, you can do that to make the first bunch of cash. That's fine, right? But over time, you need something that yeah. really, truly matters. And I think it's those two things, value and just constantly learning, constantly. Awesome, value and constant learning. Okay. Oh, you have them? Oh, you're not passing? Okay. All right, so we'll just take some questions. Um, okay, so this one says, I am a nobody. I have nothing, but I am told I can still give my life a meaning. Now, how can I awaken the entrepreneur in me? Who wants to go? I think you're looking at me, so I'll try. <laughs> And the easiest way to answer you is I probably was a nobody as well. I had nothing. And I started. I'm not sure. Um, again, like I said, I was always looking for opportunities. So I didn't start by saying I wanted to be an entrepreneur or I was looking to hammer, as people say today. You know, it was just what are the opportunities? What can I make something out of? What do I have that I can exchange? What, what, what's in me that has value that I can exchange? But the truth is, we can't overemphasize this. A lot of what I did was sitting at the feet of people, patiently learning from them, taking all the BS. Sorry, we're in church, but you know what I mean. Yeah? I had horrible bosses at some point. You know, people tell you, and, and I've seen people that out of impatience, you know, I hate to give examples like that. Out of, so I started at Guarantee Trust Bank early days, and I've seen people that your boss does something this way or that, and you just go and resign. You know, so you have a fantastic job, and then ego makes you resign. And then 10 years down the line, did I say 10 years? Two years down the line, six months down the line, you're coming to beg to pay children's school fees or something just because of ego. You know, so you have to learn. You can't, we can't overemphasize it. What are you good at first? If you already have value in you, how do you develop that value? How do you improve on it, right? The market is very tough. Let's not deceive ourselves. There are very good people out there not making anything. So don't assume, oh, I, I mean, Oinda started by saying she wanted to be a talk show host. I know a lot of young people that want to be talk show hostesses. I don't know how they're going to survive. They just assume that people want to listen to whatever they have to say. Well. You know, but, but it takes years. If, if, you, if you ask Moa Budu, for example, for her resume or her CV or how she started, yeah. where she's been and all that, it's not magic where she's at today. 
You know, so there's that place of patience. There's that place of 10,000 hours. You know, you need to put in those hours in order for you to be able to achieve anything meaningful. It doesn't come by fluke. Look, they say, they say bullshit can get you to the top, but it can't keep you there. You're going to fall so flat back. You need to know your onions yeah. to remain at the top. So there's no shortcut to it, right? You are not a nobody. I mean, the first thing that we all have in us is God, is Christ. So you have that. How do you convert that, I think, is what your question then should be. And the thing is, there are no shortcuts. You need to pray, you need to listen, and you need to learn. You need to be patient. It's, it's, there's no, if it was that easy, everyone would get it that easy. You need to invest time. You need to learn. Remember, you need to be the very best at what you do if you really want to succeed. Okay, thank you for that answer. Um, the next question I have here says, what do you do when you see only impossibilities in business? Anyone? <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to take that question. I'm going to pass the mic. But I was just going to say, maybe you need to wash your eyes or something. No, but, but, but tell you what, yeah? I, I, I think I'm similar to that, yeah? And if you talk to my staff, they probably will tell you that same thing, that I see a lot of impossibilities in what they try to do. But I have a very critical mind. That's the way my brain works. So when someone comes to me with an idea, what I do is critique it. Tell you 10 things that can't work, or that why, 10, reason why, 10 reasons why it won't work. Not because I don't see that there's an idea in it, but I need you to, I need to test you. I need to test that idea. I need you to be sure that you know what you're saying. And I tell you what, I was just telling someone the same, exact same thing today. 29 out of 30 times, the person that brought the idea has not thought through it. You know, so I like to see what can go wrong, but I'm smart enough to focus on what can go right. The thing is, what are the mitigants? How do we mitigate those things that seem impossible? How do we walk around them? How do we jump over them? How do we slide under them? We would always find a way so they may look impossible. But it's good for you to see that impossibility so that you don't launch out and fail. A lot of people don't have those eyes. You just see it can work, and then you jump out there and you fall flat on your face. But that's not to say all you should see is impossibilities. But it's good to have a critical mind to review those ideas critically before you put money on it and before you launch out so you don't just come back failing all the time. Okay. Well, to speak to that, I, if we check out all the great businesses, like if you were told about Facebook before they actually launched, I'm sure a lot of us will give a thousand and more reasons why it couldn't have worked. You know, um, It won't work because I heard T.D. Jake say some time back that when he first heard about Facebook, he said, you mean I'm going to put all my business out there? People are, you know, and so, and that, especially for us in Africa, it would have been, oh my goodness, I'm going to put myself out there, but it's been a big hit, you know. Yeah. Every successful business has had people poking at it to say, it's not going to work, you know. To go in with a mindset, especially because we're in church, means we're going in faithless. Um, they call it analysis paralysis. You analyze and analyze and analyze, and then you just don't get up, you know. There is the part of us that we believe it will work. Like, I am, with my ideas, I never see roadblocks, right? And so I'm, I may be the total opposite. When I get in and I encounter the, the issues, that I'll solve them on the way, you know. But I know that people are different, and this is where 
whoever it is needs to pick up their faith. You know, armed with your faith, it gives you the inertia to move. Okay. So can I, yes. Can I add a bit to that? Yes, um, like you said, entrepreneurs need a fair bit of optimism. Okay. If you're not the optimistic type, that's okay. I can tell you how I how I did it. For about ten years, I launched four nonprofits with somebody else, so that that person takes the fall <laughs> of whatever happens, and then I can just be there. So, but I will run it like it belongs to me. Any idea I have, I will try it out. You know, and you work with that person. Now, entrepreneurs love people who are like, you know, very strong general that will do everything and do whatever you want. So under the cover of that other person, I just did whatever I wanted. Um, and so that's, that's one way. It's, it's, in a sense, it's called uh, apprenticeship, right? We just don't have, we used to have a great culture of it in Nigeria and then, you know, so suddenly it went away. But if, if you're one of those people who, you know, and, and you find that after you've, uh, you know, it's easy for us now to say to you, you know, we don't see impossibility anymore, but that's the anymore. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset, it's a mind thing. So a lot of times you're seeing it, like what is the impossibility, right? Is it the government? There's always a way around those guys, right? Is it the infrastructure? There's always a way around it. Yeah. But you don't learn how to get around those things unless you've actually tried a couple of things, right? Um, and the best thing about apprenticeship is you when, you, when you connect with someone, that person teaches you all their own, right? Plus the one you have developed, plus the one their board member has taught them, you collect all of that, then you go start your own thing. Like, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> okay. And then just... Okay. Well, just to add, again, you know, for the person that's seen impossibilities, there are different sorts of businesses. Some businesses require you to be more um, sort of sure before you launch out, yeah? Um, I use examples of uh, someone being a medical doctor, for example. You know, you don't want to kill people first before you realize that you got it wrong. You know what I mean? which is why they have to get their doctorates before they're allowed to practice. You know, a lot of us, you get to bachelors and you can practice. They have to go all the way before they can practice. My sort of business as well is a banking business, it's money business, you know, once it goes, it goes, it's money. You can't play with it, you have to make sure. But there are some other businesses where you can launch out a bit, test a bit, come back and all that. So again, it may have to do with sort of business or idea that you have. Some, you can jump out in faith and launch some, you need to be a bit more careful. I'm not saying you should be faithless, but you know you need to dot your eyes and cross your T's more, depending on you know what sector you are playing at. Okay, um, and just to add, taking from what Bumi said, um, I think there's a huge place for collaboration. So you might not be able to do it on your own. You look out, so I bake bread, who sells butter? Uh, maybe we can reach a larger crowd or larger, um, a larger market. So it's sometimes it's finding people who complement what your product is or who have achieved in the um, market that you want to go into and just, you know, finding who to attach yourself to and not just trying to do it on your own. You, you'll be surprised that most of these challenges, people have gone through them before. People have, you know, passed through them and made their businesses have grown from that, from those challenges. So... Um, just look out for opportunities to collaborate. So if, 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 if I may just add, so we talk about entrepreneurship as if it's got to be a small business, a one-man business, you know, that's the general idea we get. It doesn't have to be, okay? Um, and so collaboration becomes increasingly important depending on how big your idea is or how 
big, you have to start. You know, again, I'll give my business as an example. It's a regulated business, it's a banking business. I require some minimum level of capital, five billion to start. Right? Five billion is not what one person can muscle up. You don't start a bank without having branches, without having official cars, without having staff. So your overheads to start are high. You can't muscle it up as an individual. You need people, right? And that brings you to structuring a company, having the right board, having people of value on your board. You know, so that so it's not just a one dimension. It's a one man business, a small idea. I'm starting small. It's not in all businesses you get the privilege to start small and make mistakes. You know. So again, beyond just learning how to start a small business, you need to start learning how to structure a business properly. Your board sometimes can make or mar your business. You know, you get quality advice for free for people from people that have gone that way before. You get people that trust you in whom um, you've built trust over time because they've tested you with little things. They found you faithful. They can trust bigger things in your hand. They can trust you to run a big organization on their behalf. You know, so there's, which is why I'm saying you need to work with people over time. Earn their trust. Show that you're diligent. Show that you're trust, trustworthy. You know, and then they can trust you with bigger things. So raising money, for example, is very difficult in our space. So you find, I mean, uh, the story of Guarantee Trust Bank, it was never easy then, it's still not easy now. Two young guys, you know, decided to set up a bank. Look at the value of Guarantee Trust Bank today. It was because they had ideas, they, they had value propositions, and then they were able to talk to people who trusted them and were able to put money together to support their dreams. So again, you know, there are people out there that can still support your dream. But what have you done to earn their trust or to get them to believe in you? I think we need to think about things like that as well. Thank you very much. Um, so I have two similar questions um, asking about basically getting finance for your business. So some. It's not the bank's money. What the bank does is they stay in the middle, they get savings from people that have extra money, they put a spread on it and give it to the people that need. It's that spread that is their own. So to every banker, what's more important than the return they make on the money is the return of the money because they have to pay back those people. So they are not NGOs, they are not philanthropic in any way. They are focused on getting their money back. So the things they look at, so you find today a lot of banks that do you uh, smaller banks anyway, all those funny companies, 5% flat, 3% flat, you know. When they do that, all they're looking at is what they can get from you. So if you put your car down, that car is gone. You know, from day one, they know <laughs> they're just buying your car cheap from you. So you need to be careful. I won't say go to any bank. Like I said, there are so many funds out there. There are so many government-assisted SME funds today out in the market. It's amazing. I wish I was at that level today. I help them every day, and I wonder what happened during my time. You know, so there are so many ways to get money today. Going for a loan, I can tell you nine out of ten times for an untested business case, with what cost of funding is doing today. He said 22. People are lending at 28 today. How are you going to make the money back? At 28% per annum? Yeah. You know, you're just walking into a trap from day one, and you're just going to get into trouble. So bank loans are not the way to start up a business. But tell you what, when you have value, right? There was a gentleman who manufactures soft drinks. I don't know. Someone asked me two days ago. You guys will probably know. Big. What's big? A drink called Big. Have you? You know it? I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. Maybe someone should please show me. 
Okay, it looks big, like Coke, yeah? Okay. Big cola, yeah. Big I has taken the market. It's because of that, that Coca-Cola, the 60 liters. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. But you see, there's a gentleman who also makes drinks like that, similar to Big, yeah? And uh, went to his factory, and he said he has never taken a loan. He produces to capacity with other people's money. People pay him deposits to produce for them, and he cannot meet demand. He cannot meet orders. I'm not saying every business will be like that, but I'm saying when you have value, money will come chasing you. What you first have to do is develop that competence for the value. Iterate, keep doing it until you pass through all the learning curve, and then launch it, and you find that money will pour in. But please don't go borrowing at the crazy rates we have in Nigeria today. Okay, thank you very much, um, Femi. Um, so we've been speaking a lot about value, 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 value. So someone is asking, how do you put a price to the value you are offering, especially if you are a startup in a new industry? How do you put a price to the value? Okay, so I won't answer that question, but I would attempt and then pass it on to the experts on value. I do a lot of valuation, company valuation, product valuation, and stuff like that, yeah? And there are so many uh, valuation models that you can come up with. So I've studied this. I, I, I really, I mean, I don't know if uh, you guys knew when there was a lot of mergers and acquisitions, when banks' capitals were raised to $25 billion a few years back and all that. I worked on a lot of valuation models about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. But the truth is, your value is nothing. The only real... Uh, price of your value is what the market is willing to pay for it. Remember that. Yeah? So, you have to keep testing the market. It's what the market... So, you can call your value 100 million, for example. If market says it's 100,000, that's what it is. Remember, it's not what you think of that value. It's what people think of the value. It's what people are willing to pay for the value. So, you have to test the market. It has to do with supply. It has to do with demand. It has to do with uniqueness. It has to do with your unique selling proposition. You need to put all that together and then test the market. So if I put something out there, five naira, and it's off the shelf, I probably will test seven naira, test ten naira, until I see where my equilibrium is. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you can't just place a value that is far above the market. And if you place a value that is far below the market as well, you're cheating yourself. Oh, it's five naira, everybody's buying, so I'm going to keep it at five naira. You may be able to get more for it. And remember, the truth is, there are so many things, if you look back in the past, that you used and you thought were valuable, but based on technology, improvements, and all that, those things have become obsolete. So don't imagine that your business, the way it is structured, will remain like that forever. You need to get enough money to make your business sustainable. So where you can charge extra for that value, to price your value properly, price your value properly, you're going to need that money to move into the next new area or to come up with some research that would improve your product or whatever it is. So you have to keep testing your value. There's no one answer to it as far as I'm concerned. You have to test the market and see what people are willing to pay for it. Thank you. So I think that was answered perfectly. But, you know, the area of testing the market, I want to call it um, the part where, because every startup would have to do some pro bono work, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. Um, but people say, look, my time, I, I have to put my time into consideration. How do people know what, how much value you can offer if they've not tried it, you know. So I would say for um, a startup business, an entrepreneur, as much as possible, see how much you can give back, you know, as best as you can. So if you're selling a product, for instance, you know, see just how many people can interface with your product yeah. for starters, you know. 
and then that's when you get your feedback. That's when you're able to test the market. But if you keep holding on to your product, you know, simply because you think um, you can't give it out for free, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, so, you know, I talked about the three stages, right? Um, framing your hypothesis and going out and testing that hypothesis and then building a minimum viable product. I think that's that second part in testing your hypothesis. If you want to arrive at the value for the product, go out and say, in February, I will try to sell this cake at 5,000 Naira. Um, and success for selling it is if I sell 10 cakes in that month. Mm -hmm. You try that out, right? And then if it works out, then okay, I validated it, right? If not, then maybe you try a lower price the next month mm -hmm. and then see how it goes. But it's definitely just that conscious, you know, writing a hypothesis out and then testing it. We do it, but we don't, we're not cognizant mm -hmm. of what we're doing. And I think. To make the process faster and more efficient, you definitely want to say 5,000 hours is the point. If I can get to 12 people, then I've definitely done that. But I think that's one of the easiest ways, I think, to arrive at uh, value for pricing and so forth. Okay, fantastic. Um, my queue is, I see, I see my queue that it's time to go home. Um, so I kept my favorite question, the best question for the last. Um, so the person says, please, do any of you have 200,000 Naira that you are not using? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Do you have, or should I see you later, <laughs> that you are not using? You have. Please. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. He does. He so, has. So it's not like I don't have 200,000. Is that it's criminal for me to have 200,000 that I'm not using. Do you understand? I mean, financial services. Why should money be dormant? Today, the federal government of Nigeria, at zero risk, through a product called Treasury Bills, will pay you about 27% on your money. Right? Treasury Bills are 18.7%, but they are tax-free. So if you adjust for the 32% corporate tax, it brings it back to about 27%. So why would you have money today, right, that, would, that can earn you something on it? Mm -hmm. They're just putting it somewhere with the government. They're paying you about 27% on it for doing nothing, and you'd have it idle. So I think that's, that's my answer to that. There's no money that is idle. There may be money, but it definitely shouldn't be idle. Okay. Do you have that you're not using? <laughs> She's using no, I, it. I mean, Sorry. my thing is, if, honestly, if you have a great idea, I'm happy to listen. Um, and if it's... If that twenty, if that two hundred thousand will be used properly, I mean, we do it all the time. It's not that hard. But so if you have that value you keep talking about, does it does it matter or not? Uh -huh. okay, so my problem is, um, could you read the question again? <laughs> Please, do you do any of you have two hundred thousand that you are not using for a great idea? Not written. No idea, just you that have. Is, you, see, you, see, you see, that is part of <laughs> what it is that we need to re-engineer, you understand? Yeah. yeah. And so that's why I'm not answering the question. Okay. Please, don't just um, ask for 200,000 they're not using. Ideas, create value. What, you know, come up with something, and it might be more than 200,000, but come up with something. It's not for dash. 
Okay, fantastic. Um, thank you so much. You guys have been awesome. Please let's appreciate Bumi, Dr. Femi, and Tokpe. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.